Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now, there are a number of ways to outline the Sermon on the Mount. The way I've chosen to do it is to take the 10 topics Jesus discusses and organize the message that way. And that's why I'm calling 18 Minutes with Jesus straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Did you know that you can read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in just 18 minutes? It's true. In this power-packed message, Jesus challenges us to embrace a radical way of dealing with issues that matter most. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress begins to unpack Jesus' revolutionary teaching on 10 life-changing topics. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Just a few days ago, we returned from Jerusalem with almost 500 travelers. Our 2023 Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour exceeded our expectations, and someday I hope to be the one who shows you the Holy Land as well. Let me just mention one of the most special moments of our tour. I believe one of my favorite moments was standing on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It was the very spot many people believe that Jesus gave his wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Well, today I'm going to take you on a virtual trip to that hillside in the Holy Land. On today's program, I'm launching our next teaching series. It's about the Sermon on the Mount, and it's called 18 Minutes with Jesus. Most preachers, like me, have a hard time preaching a sermon in less than an hour. And yet, Jesus addressed the things that matter most to us in less than 20 minutes. I've written a best-selling book about his teaching called 18 Minutes with Jesus. And you can own a copy along with a special study guide when your request includes a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Many people are choosing to use my book and study guide in their small group Bible study or their Sunday school class. I'm going to say more about the topics I address in my book later on, but let's get started with the opening message in my teaching series. Today sets the stage for the next several weeks in May. I titled today's message, 18 Minutes with Jesus. A crowd gathers on a grassy hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, eager to hear from the popular young rabbi whose radical teaching is unlike any rabbi they've ever heard. This rabbi speaks with authority. He heals the sick and rescues those possessed by demons. The scenic landscape soon becomes filled with men and women jostling for better places to sit in this natural amphitheater to hear what this teacher has to say. Silence descends over the crowd as the rabbi takes a seat and begins to speak. Shalom. As many of you know, my name is Jesus. Welcome to my TED Talk. Now, he didn't exactly say that, but he could have. Many of you are familiar with TED Talks. They are short, informative talks about interests of global appeal. Uh, the TED Talks are organized in such a way that they transcend culture. 
What began 40 years ago as an idea is now a global sensation. Uh, this nonprofit organization, TED Talks, are devoted to, quote, spreading ideas that are worthwhile. And a few months ago, I began thinking, if Jesus came back to earth and he were invited to give a TED Talk, what would he say? And the answer became very clear to me. He would give the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' TED Talk, perhaps the first in history. The reason I say that is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount met the criteria required for a TED Talk. First of all, a TED Talk has to be short. It can't be more than 18 minutes. Well, you can read the Sermon on the Mount in 18 minutes. It has to be informative. That is filled with practical and sound advice for life. It has to be original. It has to be surprising and counterintuitive. It has to be engaging. That means it is witty and compelling. It has to be accessible. TED Talks are required to be free to anyone who wants to access them. And finally, they have to be globally appealing. They can't be restricted to one time or one culture, but for everybody. Doesn't the Sermon on the Mount meet those criteria? Well, today, we're going to look at Jesus' TED Talk we call the Sermon on the Mount. John Stott says the Sermon on the Mount is the most familiar and yet the least understood of all of Jesus' teaching. And I might add, it's also the least applied of all of Jesus' teaching. We're going to discover why in just a moment. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 as we begin our new series on the Sermon on the Mount, 18 Minutes with Jesus, which leads me to something I have to get off my chest right now. Uh, this week, I received an email uh, from an unnamed smart aleck deacon. I won't use his name. But he said, Pastor, if it only took Jesus 18 minutes to preach this sermon, why is it taking you 10 weeks? I said, there's no mandate that says Jesus preached this in 18 minutes. He may have taken hours. He may have preached it over several days on that uh, uh, side of the Sea of Galilee. But what is important is what we have is what we can know, and we can read this in 18 minutes or less. Now, let's look at the setting for the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew says this is the first major ministry event of Jesus. It occurred after his baptism, after his temptation in the wilderness, after his calling of the disciples. This was the first thing that he did to prepare his disciples. Look at verse 23 of Matthew 4. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about Jesus spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering from various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Now, here's the point, verse 25. Large crowds followed Jesus from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem to Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, there's no chapter break in the original text. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Large crowds are following Jesus. 
Verse one, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach his disciples. Now, there are some people who believe that Jesus dismissed the crowds and just taught this sermon to his 12 apostles. I don't believe that's true. And the reason I don't believe that is at the end of the sermon, as we'll see today, Matthew 7, 28, it says, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The crowds were still there, but it says that he taught his disciples. How are we to understand that? The word disciples, mathete in Greek, disciples, actually is used in two ways. There's a general sense in which the word disciple is used. To be a disciple means to be a follower. And there were literally masses of people following after Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. They were curious about him. They heard something about him. Some of them were mildly interested in knowing more about him. Some were already to devote their lives to him. And he had a mixed crowd, large crowd following him at this time. Of course, as time went on and he began to face persecution and his disciples did, the crowds thinned out pretty quickly. But at this point, there were large crowds. And so in a sense, Jesus was teaching, yes, the 12 he had called, but he was teaching everyone that day who had various degrees of interest in Jesus' teaching. But the word disciple is used also in a very strict sense, mathete. It refers to somebody who is so enamored with a rabbi that he would attach himself to that rabbi. He would be a mathetes, a disciple, a follower of that rabbi. He would study everything that rabbi ever taught and wrote. He would watch the rabbi and how he reacted to certain situations and try to imitate the rabbi in his affections, attitudes, and actions. That's what it meant to be a disciple, a follower of a rabbi. And the Bible says God has called us to be not just converts. We are called to be disciples of Christ. People who model Jesus' attitudes, his actions, his affections. In fact, let me give you this definition of a disciple that came from the late Dallas Willard. It's so key to understanding what our Christian life is all about. To be a disciple means for me to live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were I. Let me say it again. To be a disciple means to live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were I. We get this completely backwards. We think that to be a follower of Christ means trying to transport ourselves mentally back 2,000 years ago to first century Israel and we ask ourselves, okay, what if I were Jesus? What would I do? What if I were walking those dusty Galilean roads and we're working in my father's carpenter's shop? And, you know, what if I were Jesus? How would I live my life? No, that's not the point. It's just the opposite. It's not about me going back. It's saying if Jesus were here today and he were living my life, what would he do? How would he treat my mate? What would he say to my children? How would he conduct his work at my place of business? What would he do with whatever amount of money God has entrusted me to me? That's what it means to be a disciple, to live as Jesus were to live if he were I. So the whole message 
of the Sermon on the Mount is exactly that, how we're to live our life, not 2,000 years ago, but how to live in this world, and particularly how to live in your world. That's what we're going to discover in this sermon. And that leads to a discussion of how are we to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there are a number of ways to outline the Sermon on the Mount. The way I've chosen to do it is to take the 10 topics Jesus discusses and organize the message that way. And that's why I'm calling 18 Minutes with Jesus straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Now, for the next five minutes, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of coming attractions in this sermon series. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Get your pen and your outline ready. Let's look at it. Next time, we're going to look at Jesus' straight talk about your happiness. Does Jesus want you to be happy? How many of you think Jesus wants you to be happy? How many of you think he wants you to be miserable? Okay, you're not raising your hand, but some of you believe that. We're gonna talk about what Jesus says about happiness. Yes, Jesus wants you to be happy as long as you define happiness correctly. Notice how he begins the sermon in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. That word blessed is the Greek word makarios. It means happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. We'll discover what that means. And then beginning in verse 13, Jesus gives us some straight talk about your faith. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What does it mean to be salt and light in this decaying and darkening world. We'll look at that in the uh, second message. Thirdly, in verse 21, straight talk about your relationships. Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. There's more than one way to murder a person. And we'll discover uh, what is at the root of all murder, and that's hatred and anger, and how Jesus directs us to deal with both. Fourth, straight talk about your sex life. Now that I have your attention, let's look <laughs> at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Adultery, immorality doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins in the mind. And we'll see how to resist those thoughts that lead to the destruction of our relationships and our own lives. Beginning in verse 38, Jesus offers some straight talk about your adversaries. Don't get mad, get even is the watchword of our age. And it's a lot easier to do in the age of social media to exact revenge on other people. But notice what Jesus said in verse 43 of Matthew 5. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you pull that off? That's what we'll discover in that message. And then... And when we get to chapter six, straight talk about your worship. There's a change in uh, direction in the Sermon on the Mount. 
instead of talking about our um, relationships with others ought to be transformed, Jesus turns now to our relationship with God. He begins by talking about our worship, public worship. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then beginning with verse 5 of Matthew 6, straight talk about your prayer life. Prayer is the most fundamental, but also the most difficult practice in the Christian life. And in this familiar passage, Jesus is going to give us a model, not a mantra, but a model for how to pray in such a way as to make sure God hears your prayers. And then verses 19 to 34, straight talk about your money. Wealth, or the lack of it, wealth and worry go hand in hand with one another. Just like vanilla ice cream and chocolate sauce. It's hard to separate the two. And we're gonna see what Jesus has to say about wealth or the lack of wealth can cause anxiety in our life and what the remedy for that is. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first 12 verses of Matthew 7, Jesus offers straight talk about your needs. We all have needs, don't we? Most of our deepest needs can't be fulfilled by other people or even ourselves. We have to depend on God, and we'll discover how to depend on God for our needs in that message. And then finally, straight talk about your eternal destiny. Matthew 7, verses 13 to 27, the greatest fear people have is about the future. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? How can I make sure that I end up in heaven when I die? Jesus tells us precisely the answer to that question. Now, before you fold up your papers and put them away, Jesus isn't quite finished. Jesus closed his Sermon on the Mount with a great illustration. It's an illustration that left his crowd speechless. And it's one I want to close today by looking at because it's an illustration that explains why we are studying the Sermon on the Mount right now and why it's so applicable to where you are probably in your life right now. Jesus closed his sermon with these words, Matthew 7, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, not just hears and understands, but acts on them. The person who does that may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know, we are coming out of a 100-year event, a global pandemic. There is not one person on this planet whose life has not been impacted directly or indirectly by this pandemic. And this 
produces a decision point that sociologists are talking about. After the pandemic, how are we going to live our lives? Are we going to keep building the same kind of life like you build a house? Are we going to keep building the same life we were building before the pandemic hit? Or do we want to build a different kind of life, a different house, so to speak? Sociologists are saying that people are rethinking every major area of their life right now. They're rethinking their work life. Do I want to continue in the same job I was in? Do I want to do something different? Do I want to retire? They're rethinking their relationships. If they're single, some are starting to put a greater premium on getting married. Others who are married are thinking about becoming single or at least going through life with a different mate. Some people are rethinking their whole idea of money and retirement. They've been setting aside money for the future. The future, this pandemic has made them realize there may not be a future. Maybe you ought to splurge right now, take that trip, buy that possession. What kind of life are you going to build? We're all building some kind of life. Hear what Jesus says. The person who hears his word and acts upon those words is like the person who builds his house on a rock. When you build your life on the teaching of Jesus Christ found on the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't exempt you from storms. People who follow Jesus still experience pandemics. They experience loss. They experience the death of a loved one, but their lives don't collapse when they do. Their faith remains strong because it's built on the rock. Those who hear Christ's words but decide, that's not for me, doesn't apply, doesn't work, they're like the person who builds their house, their life on the sand. And when the storm comes, and it will come, it may not destroy their life immediately, but it will so eventually. I hope you'll plan to be here as we look at Jesus' revolutionary teaching about 10 key issues in life, how to apply them, and how to build a life that is truly storm-proof. All right, we have set the stage for what promises to be among the most important topics ever addressed on Pathway to Victory. I've called this teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. As I mentioned earlier, I've written a best-selling book by the same title. It features 10 timeless lessons from Jesus and describes how to apply His wisdom to our life today. I can't think of a more relevant topic than this one, not only for yourself, but for every member of your family. Jesus taught us valuable lessons on the importance of living in community with other Christians, how to stretch ourselves in matters of faith, and He even taught us surprising ways to attain what our hearts long for. Please reach out today and request your copy of my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. A copy is yours right now when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In fact, when you respond today, I'm going to include a companion study guide as well. This is perfectly suited to guide your personal study or to use in a small group Bible study. 
In closing, I want to thank you for your generous support of Pathway to Victory. These are faith-building days because we are reaching out with new ministries that will impact generations to come. God has given Pathway to Victory an unprecedented platform to influence our country and our world for the gospel. But we can't do this alone. Your partnership is vital, and in fact, it's urgently needed. Don't forget that you can watch Pathway to Victory on television. On Saturdays, among other places, you can watch us on TBN at noon Eastern. On Sunday, we're on hundreds of stations, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. To receive your copy of the best-selling book by Dr. Robert Jeffress called 18 Minutes with Jesus, simply contact the ministry of Pathway to Victory with your generous gift. As an added bonus, we're also going to include the corresponding study guide. Call us toll-free, 866-999-2965, or visit our website, ptv.org. Now, when you give $75 or more, We'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Do you think Jesus really cares about your happiness? Or is the pursuit of happiness too self-indulgent? Join us for a message called Straight Talk About Your Happiness. That's Tuesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.